for having uh, me and my wife uh, in Detroit, in your home, in your church uh, this last couple of days. It's been an amazing time. It's been an amazing uh, adventure. It's been fun. Um, sadly, the Tigers lost last night, um, but God is still on the throne. Amen. Um, yeah. So uh, just uh, I know I had we had an opportunity to minister and to speak to some of you guys on Thursday. I know there's um, some a few new people that may not know. Um, so I just wanted to share a little bit of my testimony um, and it will tie into our message um, this morning as well. Amen. So uh, the good thing about last night, even though the Tigers lost, is that I got a chance to celebrate my 36th birthday in, in Detroit. Yeah. So that, that's it's significant in a way, um, not because I'm special, not because it's my birthday, not because I'm 36, but it's just a reminder of God's hand over my life. And um, when I was born, um, I had a lot of drugs in my system. Um, I, was, I was a sick baby. I, essentially, I was a crack baby. So my mother did tons of drugs. Um, she, her and my father were in and out of jail. Lots of drugs, lived that lifestyle, which basically affected me as a, as a fetus in the womb. So I, I was a sick baby. Um, she gave birth to me in the hospital felt in her heart, and I'm sure other, other reasons played a part in it, but basically abandoned me and left me in the hospital, thinking that there was no chance or no way that I would survive. Um, so she just decided, you know what, this is probably the best bet. You know, whatever mind she was under, she decided there's no way I could survive, and, and she left me there. Um, soon after that, though, I was fostered. I was in foster care. I was set into a family, and uh, I was a, officially adopted at five years old. But um, I never knew any other family besides the family that, that took me in, which is the Martell family. Um, they had a history of fostering children, but they never had the opportunity to actually adopt a child. For whatever reason, the, the parents would straighten up or the parents would come back or the, the state would say, you know what, we got to remove this kid and we're going to place them in another home. They never had the opportunity to actually adopt one of the children that they, they brought in. Um, a quick story of my parents is just, you know, at this time, when I was invited into their home, they were in their 50s. So they were a little older. They were nearing um, retirement age. Um, they had three kids of their own, and now they're in their 30s. So they've moved out. They're starting their own families. Yet here, these two parents, these two people decided that, you know, what's a good idea at this point is to bring in another child into our house which really doesn't make sense if you think about it, right? Freedom is on the cuffs. They're on the, they're on the like, so close to just not having to worry about a child, not having to worry about anything. All they have to do is focus on grandkids and just on each other and just enjoy life. But yet something inside of them decided, you know what? Let's adopt this sick baby. Let's bring this baby in. Let's bring this baby in who, who was constantly in and out of the hospital, constantly in and out of the doctor's office. Right. I was all, I had terrible uh, ear infections growing up. I, I was just I, it wasn't an easy task. And I'm sure it wasn't an easy task for uh, my mom and my dad. But yet they loved me and they tended to me and they cared for me. They nurtured me and they invited me into the Martell family. So at 36 years old, I'm just reminded of Psalms 23, 6, where it says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever and I think that scripture of just the Lord that picture of the goodness of God 
his heart to pursue us is something that I've seen even before I've ever known Jesus himself. Um, in 2006, I gave my life to the Lord um, after somebody invited me to a youth group session. Um, as, as, a, as a 19, 20-year-old young man, I just found myself in a dark place, confused place. Um, I was in a lonely place. I was searching for belonging. I was searching for something, something real, something tangible. And I didn't find that in the world. Uh, I found some friendships, but they didn't last. I found some, some fun, but the fun was quickly, quickly ended, and I just felt at a lonely place. And then, Jesus, and then Jesus disrupted all that. right? And then I encountered Jesus. I encountered the gospel message. And then I found church family. And even though I was different, even though I looked different, even though I was from a different um, background, they still invited me in. And Jesus still, no matter my past, no matter my thoughts, no matter my, 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 my shortcomings, Jesus invited me in. So I gave my life to the Lord and I never looked back. Um, I was surrounded by people like Jody and Vanessa Romero, who at the first moment I walked into that youth group and playing foosball and after multiple cuss words and because I'm losing, um, it didn't deter them from still inviting me in, you know, I, because of people like Jody and Vanessa, um, you know, just opening their lives. And, and by opening their lives, not just inviting me to church service, but actually inviting me to their junk, to their arguments, to their hard times, to just, um, and it's, it's not, I'm not trying to glorify them, but it's just a, a decision that two people made, which made me feel comfortable. Um, uh, so like I said, yes, um, opening their lives, inviting me into seeing what a godly man looks like. That's something that I never had in my life. My dad was a good dad. He was a good man, but a godly man, no, I didn't know how a godly man loves. I didn't know how a godly man treats a wife. I didn't know how a godly man raises kids, but Jody stepped into that role. So not even, it was just so much more that came in from me saying yes to the Lord. It was so much more that I received from some to, for two people saying, hey, come in and you're invited here. Let's get messy. Let's get dirty. It was amazing. And then all of that started as an invitation. And that's kind of what I want to be speaking to you guys about this morning. It's an invitation. All throughout scripture, we see Jesus inviting those that he encounters into them, uh, into something. When Jesus encounters someone, he's, he's inviting them into something. He's inviting them into newness. He's inviting them into a journey. He's inviting them into a relationship. Many times he's inviting people into a family. He's inviting people to be a part of something that is real. Something that is life-changing. We see it with the disciples on the shore. And Jesus says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. Something so simple. Something so easy. But that's an invitation. Drop everything you know. Drop your nets. You're a fisherman? Well, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's an invitation. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, Come to me, all who are weary, all who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation. The lady at the well, if you only knew the kind of water that I have, you would ask me and I would give you. It's an invitation. And there is something powerful about an invitation. Something powerful about an invitation. And as we drove through Detroit uh, the last few days, 
man, there, there's a city out there that's desperate for an invitation. There's a city out there that is desperate for some love, and they need what Border City Church has. They need what you guys have. They need a home. And I know you guys have been praying for a venue. I know it's been ups and downs and some battles, and, and I, I don't believe that it's any coincidence that today we meet here in a home. And I know it might feel strange, and I know our hearts, I know our desires, but I think that this right here is a picture of the church. It's the home. It's family. It's friendship. It's togetherness. It's unity. So I know we long for a big building, a beautiful building, where we don't have to, uh, you know, hurry up and vacuum and sweep up. But <laughs> right here, though, is a sweet place and a picture of God's faithfulness and a picture of the early church of this right here, this world needs it out here. They don't need all the bells and whistles. They, not, even though bells and whistles are nice. <laughs> but what they need is family. Yeah. Amen. What they need is Jesus. Oftentimes the church is represented as a family, as the family of God. And there are many people out of these doors there's many people in your workplaces, there's many people in your classrooms, in your circles of friends that need and are desperate for a family and a home. And I believe that's what Border City Church is. Amen. Amen. Romans 10, 14. Quickly, I'm going to read this and then we can get into uh, my message. Um, Romans 10, verse 14 to 15 says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Man, in my, in my prayer time, I thought I had an extra seat. Uh, I need a chair. This is my fault. This is just a chair. This is my, yeah, it's totally my fault. It's all your fault. It's totally my fault. I did ask you, and you. Any, the white chair is totally fun. Sorry, man. My wife is. Uh, this is family. It's family. We're good. We're good. Holy Spirit's still here, right? We're good. All right. In my prayer time, my prep time, I got a picture, and and when you know normally you do this, you ask God like, Lord, what do you want me to say to this church? What do you want me to say to these people? What, what do you want? And we feel like there's a long list of things, and it's going to be like this amazing you know, yeah. scripture, and you're just like, oh, this is going to be great. In my prep time, I do feel it's going to be great, but I got, Lord, what do you want me to say? And I got a picture of a chair. That was it. Just, just a chair. Can anybody tell me what kind of chair this is? An empty chair. An empty chair. You guys have been reading my notes. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, you're, you're with me. So an empty chair... It gets a bad rap. If, if you're a leader in the church, as a pastor, as an elder, it, we focus on the empty chair so much. Because to us, an empty chair usually means somebody is missing. Usually means someone didn't show up. That's a life that is not hearing the gospel, right? We can all probably agree with that. Um, but I, I was just asking the Lord, like, what do you want me to say about this empty chair? And I believe the Lord would like to change our perspective on this. Uh, this morning in Border City Church, um, the empty chair basically is going to start representing um, an opportunity. An empty chair is an opportunity for each and every one of us, right? It's an empty chair is, is um, 
It's a picture that there's room for you here. It's not about somebody's missing. It means there's room for somebody. It's an opportunity for a soul. It's an opportunity for ears to hear what God is doing. This means that there is place for you, that you are welcomed here. Basically, an empty chair now, and hopefully through God, will see, hey, come sit and be a part of what's happening here. This is not an empty seat. This is an opportunity in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So if you have your Bibles, if you are like to follow along, we're going to be in Luke 14. And uh, I know you guys have been going through a Luke uh, series, and I couldn't make it that easy, so I decided to jump a few um, <laughs> chapters. So we're in the future a little bit here, um, but I, I do strongly believe that this is just what the Lord wants to share with you today. So uh, Luke, we are going to be in Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Um, normally what I like to do, I like to read the scripture first. Um, for those who don't know, I like to read the scripture and then kind of dissect and jump through and, and, and get messy with the scriptures. All right. So when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to the host, said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and they will, they will be, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with his story, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get the smallest taste of my banquet. Amen. So Lord, we just thank you, God, for this morning. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just open our ears and our eyes, God, to what you want to share this morning. 
the Luke 14 portion, God, I pray, Lord, that it would just be burning inside of us, God. Lord, be with us, be with me, Lord, as we uh, go through this message and your word. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So what's happening here? Jesus was basically invited to a Sabbath dinner at the home of a Pharisee. And, um, and we know at this point, the Pharisees had began to, to question Jesus. They began to look at him closely, and they were, they were rubbed the wrong way about Jesus. And they knew that something was wrong with Jesus, so they began to plot. They began to try to trap him. They began to try to get him to say something that was off or do something that was off to give him or give them a reason to kind of get rid of Jesus, right? And if you don't know what a Pharisee is, I'm sure you all do, but a Pharisee was one of the religious leaders of Jesus' time. They, they, they knew a lot of things about God, but as you read, they, they didn't know God. They, they missed the fact that God was right in front of them many times. So during uh, this dinner that Jesus was invited to, Jesus heals a man with swollen limbs and basically just to make, starts to make things uncomfortable at this dinner and um, for everybody in the room. So the, the Pharisees were asking, like, do you, you know, you don't heal on the Sabbath. You don't work on the Sabbath. And here we find Jesus prioritizing people still, even on a Sabbath. So he's just making things very uncomfortable. He's just kind of pushing the envelope. He's just trying to make people just kind of just, what is happening here? And this is all happening at a dinner, right? So then in Luke 14, we, we see that 14.7, uh, uh, it says, Jesus noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table. He gave them this advice. So Jesus, like always, is using the small opportunities he has to teach people and to show people and to speak to people, right? He teaches about, or this group of Pharisees and the group that's at this dinner about humility. He sees and notices that the people start to begin to position themselves at the head of the table, at the seat of honor. And I just imagine the picture of just positioning and fighting and elbowing and just people trying to strategically place themselves at the best seats and just trying to just, just get seen or just be seen or just maybe they just get a little bit better, a little bit um, just closer to Jesus, right? So and Jesus is, is stating this because it's not about just having good manners, but it's just he's using this opportunity to say, Lord, uh, guys, put others before yourselves. Right. In Philippians uh, chapter two, verse three, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. And I, I just think that picture of just positioning and fighting and not being content that the fact that you're in the party. You're at the table, you're at the feast, but yet still unhappy, still wanting a little bit more, a little bit more status, a little bit more position. Um, so my first point, if you guys take notes, um, it's embrace your place at the table. Embrace your place at the table. Look around you. Appreciate where God has you. Appreciate what God has for Border City Church. Appreciate the lives and the faces and the hearts that are represented here. Appreciate where you find yourself. Enjoy where God has you and has you at this church. Enjoy the place that you are in, the, in this city. Be content. Embrace it. There's no need to 
to position and strategize on how to get higher, on how to get a little closer. Just enjoy where God has you. Then he turns to the host. Jesus then turns his attention to the host, and then he says, and you, when you have a feast, don't just invite the rich. Don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite the people who are comfortable, the people that you know. Invite the people that can't repay you. Invite the people that may be a little harder. Invite the people that you won't get a a dime from. Invite those people. So then he turned to the host and said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back and and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. And with that, I just say, number two is get okay with getting uncomfortable. Border City Church has to get uncomfortable. This isn't an easy task of what God is calling this church to do and who this church is called to be. It's time to get uncomfortable. You will get uncomfortable. Conversations will get messy. People will get messy. But that is exactly what God is calling this church to do. Um, last weekend, we, had a, we celebrated my wife's birthday, and we had, a, we had a dinner. And if you know my wife, she doesn't like the attention. She doesn't like the work and the stress that comes in with uh, inviting people and making a list and having to cut the list off. And some people can come and some people can, and we just can't invite everybody. And, it's, it, it's true, it's, it's a difficult task because not everybody can make it. Not everybody can make this dinner, right? And then we see this guy, this Pharisee, he tries to, he tries to change the subject, right? He misses the point altogether. And he's and he basically saying, you know, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. And the, the thought and the heart in this room was that this, this, this banquet and this feast, this party is going to be amazing because it's only going to be Jews in there. This is going to be a rocking party. Just us at this feast and us at this table, it's, it's going to be amazing. And Jesus notices that and he corrects that and he's saying, no. That's, he debunks that idea by the parable that he's going to tell us right, right after that. Saying Luke 14, verse 16, it says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. So what's happening is that in this time, there would be two invites that are sent to a party. There would be the RSVP that we would call an RSVP. And then because of just how massive these parties were, we wouldn't really know when the party's gonna start and when the, thing, when the food's gonna be ready. So there would be another invitation sent out saying, the party has started. Why don't you guys come down? So the fact that these guys and these people in this story are getting the second RSVP would mean that they have all said yes to come to the banquet. They knew about the banquet. They said, I'll be there. I want it. I'll go in. But then just something decided to change their mind. Which would be completely rude which would be a slap in the face of the host. Because we're not talking about just buying a couple of pizzas. Like This is slaughtering some food and, and, and cooking, and it's, it's, it's a big deal, especially in this culture. 
But in Luke 14, verse 18, it says, But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field, and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, these excuses are, are pretty lame. They're, they're pretty bad excuses. I, I don't, Paul, in real estate, I don't think you would buy or purchase a home without seeing it. It doesn't make too much sense. Right? So this, this man bought a field, and he has to go see it. It's just, I don't know. One has to go check on his ox. The other one just got married. And that's the only one to me that really makes sense. Like, I just got married. I can't have any fun. Wow. <laughs> totally not your situation. You're, you're totally not. <laughs> so the servant returned and told his master what has been said. And his master was furious. He said, go quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servants has done this, he reported, and this is the good thing, there's still more room. There is still more room. And that's huge. So then the king says, then go out to the streets, go out to the dark places, go out and invite everyone you see. Go to the country lanes behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come so that house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. It's that thing about having more room, more seats, more opportunities. Go out and invite the outcasts, not only the poor, but the misfits. Bring them to the party. My third point for you guys is understand the importance of the invitation. Like I said, the kingdom of God is, is often referenced as, as a party, as a celebration. But what we're, what we're in, invited into is not just a meal. We're invited from, from, from hell to heaven. We're invited from loneliness and emptiness into fullness and abundance. When we come to Christ, when we come to Jesus, we invite people into our church, into our home, into our lives. We're inviting um, people from death into life, yeah. from insecure and rejected to secure and safely, safety, from orphans. We're inviting people from orphans into family. See, the empty seats at the king's table was a picture of, 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 the, of the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom of Christ, of the, of the church, a table full of misfits people from different backgrounds, different places in life, but all were worthy and all were called to eat and enjoy what the king put out. It doesn't matter your background, your past, your color, the color of your skin, what side of town you're from. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your position. And it's not because you have it all figured out and you know stuff. It has everything to do with the king. It has everything to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with the invite that he has sent out to each and every one of us and to this world. So because the king has sent out the invitation and his servants would go out and invite those, we are those servants. That's where, we're, that's where we stand. The people of Detroit will be welcomed. Come, sit at this table. Come enjoy what the Lord is doing. Come, we have a seat for you. 
it can get, it can get comfortable with who we know very easily. Very easily is just it's a comfortable thing. But I hope that 2020, if anything, has told us and showed us that it's okay to get uncomfortable. It's okay to change things up. It's okay to go outside. It's okay to be seen. It's okay to change things and, and, and just tweak things. And it's okay about the bells and the whistles. But it's about getting uncomfortable. So the king says, hey, people of Detroit, be welcome, right? Come sit at this table. Enjoy this feast. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. An empty seat means you are welcomed in the family, that there is room for you. And as we sit with Jesus, we understand, as we all know, that there is belonging. There is security. We understand that there is fullness of Jesus, that we are invited into his provision, into his peace. And not because of anything of us or what we have done, but because of who he is. So number four, and my last point, start eating and build a bigger table. That's what we do. And that's our action this morning, is enjoy what God is doing and begin to build a bigger table. Begin to bring out some more seats and start to expect the Lord to move and to fill those seats. Eating with others at a table and sharing a meal with others is, is about connection. In East LA, in our LA, that's, that's a huge thing. That's the first thing we do when we meet somebody is invite somebody over and we share a meal. Because what that looks like and what that is, it just means connection. It means relationship. It means fellowship. It's engagement. It's intimate. And it's a picture of acceptance. An invitation to grab a seat at the table and eat for those who don't know Christ, for those who feel far away from him, for those who feel like they know him completely. But it's a chance to draw closer. It's a a chance to dine at the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 2 in the early church, we see a picture of the early church in in verse 46 to 47. It says, "Man, the early church, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And there's some key words there of just they worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in the homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy. That great joy part is important, right? And generosity. All the while praising God. They didn't do it like, fine, come over. Sure, I think I can fit it in with generosity and joy. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, and because of this church, the early church decided to make these little uh, decisions. Each day, the Lord added to their numbers. Each day, the Lord added to the kingdom. Each day, the Lord added to their church. All over a mill. This morning, we sang, for the sake of the world, burn a fire in me. Light a fire in my soul for every eye to see. And um, I really just feel like that is, that is a motto here. That is a motto. And I, I just got a prophetic word that I understand the heart behind Border City Church's name. I understand the meaning, and I'm sure you all do. But I really just felt this morning that, that there would be no borders for this church. There would be no borders for this church. 
that there will be no walls, that this church, that these people, these lives, wait, who, who, all who are represented here, that cannot be contained to four walls of a building. What you have in your hearts and what you know and who you, what you've seen God do in your lives cannot be contained in a home. That there will be no walls, that what God is doing in your lives and in this church will not and cannot be contained. That Border City Church will continue to reach out and expand. That you guys will continue to bring in the people of this city. And you will go out and it will be far and it will be uncomfortable. But there will be a seat ready for anybody who comes through this door or in the door of your new building. Amen.